Friends, we are uh, continuing in our sermon series in the book of Genesis. And so we come today to Genesis chapter 19. If you have a Bible with you, I would encourage you to look it up. We uh, last week looked at the story of Abraham interceding with God. And praying that God would not destroy the city of Sodom if there were ten righteous people to be found in that city. Well, today we're going to find out what does happen in Sodom. I'm going to read the first 29 verses of chapter 19. And as we read, we remember this is God's word. Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening. And Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. And he said, Hear now, my lords, please turn in your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may arise early and go on your way. And they said, No, but we will spend the night in the town in the open square. But he insisted strongly, so they turned in to him and entered his house. Then he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread and they ate. Now before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both old and young, all the people from every quarter surrounded the house. And they called to Lot and said to him, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them carnally. So Lot went out to them through the doorway and shut the door behind him. And said, Please, my brethren, do not do so wickedly. See, now I have two daughters who have not known a man. Please let me bring them out to you, and you may do to them as you wish. Only do nothing to these men, since this is the reason why they have come under the shadow of my roof. And they said, Stand back. Then they said, This one came in to stay here, and he keeps acting as a judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. So they pressed hard against the man Lot and came near to break down the door. But the men reached out their hands and pulled Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they became weary trying to find the door. Then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here, son-in-law, your sons, your daughters? And whomever you have in the city, take them out of this place, for we will destroy this place. Because the outcry against them has grown great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law, who had married his daughters, and said, Get up, get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. But, his sons, but to his sons-in-law he seemed to be joking. When the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry, saying, Arise, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. And while he lingered, the men took hold of his hand, his wife's hand, and the hands of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. So it came to pass, when they had brought them outside, that he said, Escape for your life. Do not look behind you, nor stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains, lest you be destroyed. 
Then Lot said to them, Please, no, my lords. Indeed, now your servant has found favour in your sight, and you have increased your mercy by which you have shown me, saving my life. But I cannot escape to the mountains, lest some evil overtake me, and I die. See now, this city is near enough to flee to, and it's a little one. Please let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. And he said to him, See, I have favoured you concerning this thing also, in that which I overthrow this, I will not overthrow this city for which you have spoken. Hurry, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. Therefore the name of the city was called Zoar. The sun had risen upon the earth when Lot entered Zoar. Then the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. So he overthrew those cities, all the plain, all the inhabitants of the cities, and what grew on the ground. But his wife looked back behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. Then he looked towards Sodom and Gomorrah, and saw all the land of the plain. He saw, and behold, the smoke of the land went, went up like the smoke of a furnace. And it came to pass, when, the, when God destroyed the cities of the plain, that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had dwelt. Amen. And we thank God for the reading of his truth. Friends, this is not an easy sermon to preach. I'm guessing it won't be an easy sermon to hear either. But God in his providence has us here today to hear this passage of scripture. That's what God wants us to hear. And so uh, I want to tell you first of all about a story. You've heard perhaps the story of the frog in the pot. Have you heard the story of the frog in the pot? I imagine many have. It's said that if you try to drop a frog into a pot of boiling water, the frog will do all it can to hop away from the water. Even if it gets scalded, it will hop out of the pot. But if you put a frog into a pot of cold water and you slowly heat the water up to boiling, the frog won't even notice that it's dying. It won't escape and it will slowly but surely boil until it dies. Now that sounds like a pretty cruel experiment and I'm not suggesting that anybody here goes home and tries that. But I'm trying to make a serious point. When things around us in the world change suddenly, we notice. We notice them very obviously and we can decide for ourselves if they're good or bad. But when things change gradually, sometimes we don't even notice the change. And so whether for good or for bad, we just embrace them. I think this could be said for the society that we live in. I want to give you an example. I want you to think about television shows. Think about the sitcoms and soaps that you have watched in your house over the last 20 years or so. They've been on in my house too. 
Think about the television programme Friends, for example. It's a fairly dated programme nowadays. Think about those programmes. And ask yourself the question, if those programmes were an advertisement, what are they selling? Because we need to realise that what we see on our TV screens, well, it's a form of propaganda. And they are slowly changing the culture that we live in. So what is it that they are selling? Something like Friends, to stick with that example, although I'm sure the same could be said for Coronation Street. Friends did an amazing job at normalising promiscuity and casual sex in our society. The English theologian Carl Truman who has done major work in the cultural shifts we've seen in our day. He often says that the TV comedy show Will and Grace did more for the cause of so-called same-sex marriage than any government could hope to do. And so over the last 50 to 60 years of television programmes and glossy magazines, not even taking the internet into account, we've seen this slow, and gradual change in our society. And so what I want to point out to you today, friends, is that the water's boiling. The water is boiling around us and many of us didn't even notice. It's boiling and it will consume us and it will consume our children unless we realise how hot things have got and turn instead to Christ for protection. The world has turned away from biblical morals, biblical standards. The world has embraced things which the Bible calls abhorrent and wicked. Do you notice how hot it is? I don't think it's done yet. The gods of this world, money, sex and power, are worshipped daily. The triple dangers of the world, the flesh and the devil are subtle and they will try to drag us away from the one true and living God. The change is slow and it's maybe only by looking back that we can see how far the culture has gone. But friends, it's hot. It's boiling. Abortion, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, malice, Envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness, backbiting, hating God, violence, pride, boasting, inventing evil things, disobedience to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. Now with the exception of the word abortion, but not the concept, the list that I've just read out is from Romans chapter 1 in the Bible. We have to say that the world that Paul was condemning seems to be very similar to the world that we live in. But do we notice? Do we notice how hot the water is? Like I'm definitely not saying that 50 years ago everything was perfect. I'm not. I'm obviously not saying that there was no sin. In fact, if you want to see the roots of our current culture, you've got to go back a lot further than 50 years. Sin has been humanity's problem since the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden. 
And what we read today in the book of Genesis tells us that the worst kind of depravity has been about for a very, very long time. And so my concern today is, yes, to point out the depth and wickedness of depravity in our world and to compare that with Sodom. My concern is also to point out how Lot ended up in Sodom and how Lot was actually accepting of the sin in Sodom. In fact, Lot was taking part of the sinfulness of Sodom. More than pointing out how that was the case for Lot, I want to suggest that it might be the case for us. As I say, this is not an easy passage to preach on. It's down to me. I wouldn't have included it in the Bible, but I'm not God. I think there's grace in this passage. I think there's mercy in this passage. And I think there's hope in this passage, but we've got to look for it. So let's dig into Genesis 19. If you have your Bible, it would be helpful to have it open. Our three points to guide us today are, first of all, the slide into sin, then the result of sin, and finally, the way of salvation from sin and its result. So let's begin with the slide into sin. I've used that title very deliberately because I do think there's a slippery slope argument to be made for how we enter into sinful behaviours and patterns, both in our own lives and in the world in general. It's like this. If you're at the top of the water slide, you can either get on or get off. But the moment that you're on that slippery slope, it's very difficult to turn back. Before you know it, you're at the bottom. What we see in the character of Lot is really instructive for us. Remember how it all began for Lot back in chapter 13? He separated from Abraham because of something simple, a dispute over the grazing land. Remember, it was Lot himself who chose the bright lights of the city. Abraham gave him the choice of going anywhere and Lot chose Sodom. But we see today that things have progressed for Lot. That phrase that's used in verse 1 of chapter 19, the, the gate of Sodom, that's really important. It's not simply a description of the entrance to the city. The, the gate of a city in that time and place was the seat of government for that city. It's basically the place where the local council met, where the, all the people of influence would gather to make decisions and to pass their judgments for that city on important matters. And so what we see is that Lot is not only living in Sodom, he's become an important person in Sodom. What started with a decision to go to the bright lights of the city has really resulted in Lot forgetting all about who he is meant to be as one of God's people. Lot is a covenant person. He is of the household of Abraham. We're reminded of that in the, in the last verse of the passage. God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out. The people of God on earth are the household of Abraham at this point. God did not forget Lot, but Lot has forgotten who he is. The sin of Sodom has gripped him and he has slid down and down away from God. Compare this story to the story we heard a couple of weeks ago with Abraham entertaining these same men, these same angels. Both meet the men, Abraham at the entrance to his tent, his tent Lot at the entrance to the city, the gate. Abraham was a wandering pilgrim passing through, looking for a better city. 
Lot has settled down. And he insists that the men come into his house, not into his tent. This is not the home of a pilgrim. This is the home of someone who has settled in a place. And so while Lot's intention to bring the men into his home, well, it's a good intention. He's seeking to protect them. What happens because of where his home is? The men of the city came to his door and they made despicable demands, didn't they? We see that actually Lot might not want to protect the angels because he, he cares too much about how the people outside view him. He goes out to, to protect the angels, but he wants to hold on to this position of power that he has within the city. And so he offers his virgin daughters to the men instead. The language that we have to use to describe that is horrible. But the Bible's explicit on this point. You know as well as I do what it is Lot was offering his daughters for. Lot has really slid down into horrible sin and wickedness at this point. The pot has been warming for a while. He maybe didn't even notice how hot it was getting. Maybe Lot didn't even realise how far he would go in his love to be accepted by the world. But it's exposed in this horrible incident. The men of this city, well, they're a demonstration of the terrible degeneration of sinfulness. And by that I mean once sin has gripped you, it drags you down and down and down into depths that maybe you didn't even realise were possible. Sin is never satisfied. It always wants more and more. It would have been sinful enough for these men to have done what they wanted with each other. And no doubt that had been the case for them in the past. But the degenerative desire of their sinfulness is that on that night, they want to commit rape upon these new men who have come into their city. I want to make a point of application before we move on. And it's simply to say this. Be careful. Be careful. I hope that none of us here would ever, ever see or imagine ourselves getting to the point of Sodom in our own lives. I hope that we would never entertain the notion of what Lot was proposing to do with his own daughter. But then there was probably a time when Lot didn't think he would end up here either. The Lot of chapter 13 didn't think that things would end this way. That he would have to give his daughters over to be treated as objects of sexual gratification. And so I urge all of us today, be careful. The water is hot. It's getting hotter. And it can destroy you and your family. Parents, fathers especially, hear me today as a fellow father, let's commit to keeping an eye on our children. Let's step away from the top of the slide. Let's get out of the pot of water. Let's build our family's relationships and community around the church, around the people of God. Let's realise that we are pilgrims. We're not settling down in this world. We're passing through. We're looking for a better country. 
Don't be like Lot and his wife, who his wife looked back, didn't she? Why did she look back? Because she loved the world. Commit to live for God. Commit to live for his glory. Commit to teach your children the truth of the Christian faith in the Bible. To keep them from stepping onto that slippery slope. None of us think we'll end up at the bottom. But as Lot found out, once you're on the slide, there's no way back. So that brings us to our second point, the result of sin. Friends, the Bible's very clear. And while it's not talked about often in our world today, it's a message we all need to hear. The result of sin, the wages of sin, is death. James 1 says, sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. That's where sin leads, to death. And it's true to say that, that these human bodies that we live in now, well, they get sick and they head for death because of sin. That is true. But there's a deeper meaning to the idea of death in the Bible. The death that's promised to Adam and Eve if they ate of the fruit, and it came to them the very day that they ate. It's not death the way most people think of death. If I had to define it uh, uh, the way the Bible uses death, I would say death is a separation from God's protection and instead coming under his wrath. And that's what we see for the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. The idea of fire and brimstone preaching, well, it's not popular in today's world. It's even not popular in some parts of the church. But here it is. It's here in black and white. The sin, wickedness and depravity of Sodom and Gomorrah is punished by God by raining down brimstone and fire out of the heavens. Resulting in not only all the people but all the city, even the surrounding areas being totally destroyed. When we've read this first part of chapter 19 and heard the despicable things the Sodomites had planned, and clearly did on a regular basis, we might say they deserved it. And that's right, sin deserves death. But I want you to notice something, friends, something really important, something devastating. God doesn't only punish the sin, God punishes the sinner. Sin can't be separated from the person who sins. It's the sinner who God destroys with everlasting death. That's not easy to say. And again, I hope it's not easy to hear, but the result of sin is death. And that's the direction that we're all headed in. Our sin might not be as wicked or heinous as some others. Maybe not. But still, it deserves death. That is... Apart from our last point, the way of salvation from sin and from the resulting death. A few moments ago, I said that once you're on the slide, there's no way back to the top. It's a slippery slope to the bottom. Perhaps I should have said this. There is no human way back to the top. To get back to the top is going to require some kind of miracle. Something that suspends the normal flow of the world and gives us something that we don't deserve. And it's in that truth 
where we find grace and where we find mercy and where we find the hope of this story. You should notice that just as his uncle has done before him, Lot tried to take things into his own hands. He tried to solve the problem himself. He tried and he failed to bring his own salvation. And how did he plan to do it? How did he propose to do it? His suggestion in verses 7 and 8, well, he wanted to deal with sin, the sin of the men, by using more sin, sending his daughters to them. That's never going to work, is it? And so it is for us. What we need is what Lot needed. We need salvation from outside of ourselves. We need a miracle. We need the salvation of Jesus. Because in Jesus Christ, miracles happen. In Jesus Christ, sin can be separated from the sinner. The sinner can be pardoned. The sinner can go free. Free from their sin and free from the result of their sin. And have life. The angels who came to Lot saved him through a miracle. The miracle of striking the men of Sodom blind. And then, not only that, but they saved him entirely. They dragged him out of the city. Did we read that in verses 15 and following? It, it seemed like Lot was considering just staying in Sodom. But God wouldn't allow that to happen. Lot was rescued out of the city along with his daughters. His wife, his sons-in-law, well, they loved the city too much. Their desire wasn't for the things of God. It was for the things of this world. And so sadly, they were destroyed. But the salvation for Lot was through the miracle of God, who not only saved Lot out of the sin in Sodom, but he overlooked Lot's own sin to rescue him. Lot didn't get the results of his sin. And friends, let me finish by saying the same can be true for us. We need a miracle. We need God to save us from our sin and from its result. So praise God. Thank him that he sent his son into this world to face the wrath and punishment of God on our behalf. To die in our place. As Jesus hung on the cross, he faced the fire and the brimstone of God for you. So that your sin could be forgiven. So that the result of your sin, death. So that it could be removed from you. And it was placed instead on Christ. Praise God for the mercy, for the grace and for the hope that he offers us through Jesus. Let's look to him today as the one who can save and rescue us. Even as we slide down and down, turn around and pray for the rescue of Christ who can raise you up. Even as the water gets hotter and hotter all around us, turn and look to Christ who can take us out of the pot and place our feet upon the rock, upon the truth of scripture, so that we might live for him against the ways and the customs of this world. Love for this world, the sin that it leads to, is no way for the Christian person to live. Instead, let's look to the one who can save us from sin and who can save us from its resulting death. May we look to Christ today and always. Let me pray for us.